evening, um, I'd like to speak about uh, relax, observe, and allow. Now, those of you who are frequent members of SIMS, Seattle Insight, you're not unfamiliar with those words. Um, but I've yet to lay out a whole talk around them. And I think it's kind of essential uh, because for me they hold the essence of the practice. When You know those times when we um, become cornered by our mind and we don't know which way to turn and we desperately need uh, some advice. And uh, if we can remember these three words, uh, oftentimes, uh, no matter what we are going through, be it uh, fear or doubt or whatever, these can act like a life raft for us. And I hope to explain that. But first let me start off by um, telling a little story. And that is uh, when I was a monk at, uh, in the monastery in southern Thailand. Um, I was uh, practicing what we're doing here. And uh, I was visited, the monastery was visited by a Tibetan monk, um, a, sort of a young Tibetan monk who could speak English, uh, who was visiting just for a day. And he and I got together. Uh, and uh, he uh, asked me what practice I was doing and shared his practice in return. No, so his practice, he started off telling me, it took him fully 20 minutes and nonstop telling me about, uh, I did 100,000 prostrations, a million mantras to this deity, a million mantras to that deity, you know, on and on and on. And um, I was amazed. I mean, I was, I wasn't, I just was amazed, really. I mean, <laughs> just, I, at that point I was uh, un familiar with Tibetan practices, but, uh, you know, it was very rich and very colorful display of something. <laughs> and then he said, and now what's your practice? <laughs> and I said, uh, being with what is, period. And I, in the moment I said that, and in the period, I saw his expression. And it was not, he was not, um, um, he was not in admiration of me. <laughs> but you know what? I knew it was right for me. And when I said it, there was just like this grounding. And I've, it's never wavered for me. I've had multiple invitations towards complexity. Been enticed through a variety of teachers and methods, books, to make it more complicated than it is. But there's something in me that's very knowing. No. If it isn't simple, there's something wrong. I hope that knowing is also in you. 
Because no matter where each of us are in the course of our unfolding of our spiritual lives, we are going to have many opportunities towards more complexity in practice. You will be invited through a multiple, source, multiple sources to make your practice more than being just with what is. Because the sense of me loves it. It loves the richness, the texture. It loves doing a million things. It loves the productivity of different methodology. I don't want to say, and I am not implying, that there isn't a character alignment with those particular qualities. There often are. And people know when you're at home, that feeling of being at home within your methods is an important one to follow. But ultimately, whatever methods we choose must be distilled down to being with just what is. Anything else is mental. Anything else is a add-on. And when I um, think of what brief summation of practice can be, the words relax, observe, and allow. That takes care of body, mind, and spirit. Be simple. Even science, it's interesting, you know, I, I am um, very amateur and scientist enthusiast. Very amateur. But I love the fact that the richness and complexity of what we see and the vastness and the array of experiences is now being distilled down in the simplicity in string theory that it all comes from the resonance of infinitely small energy packets of strings, shaped like strings, that move and vibrate in a certain direction. And given their vibration determines their configuration. And that's where the multiplicity comes. It comes from the different way these minuscule strings vibrate. And all laws can be distilled down into that resonance. There too lies the Dharma. You look at the mind and it is full of the demons and ghosts and goblins of the memories and attitudes, of the pushing and toing and froing, of the sets of formulas that we've all been given in our practice. The four this is, the eights this, the sevens this is, the four, fourteen that's the...
But what is it? What, what is it when it all gets distilled down? Remembering that the path separates. It either moves towards greater simplicity of being or greater complexity of self. And because most of us only know what we have been given and lived with our whole life, this sense of me, and we have tried tried and tested true strategies of our life that have worked very effectively in putting ourselves through school and developing our vocation. And so, of course, we're going to start out with those same strategies when we come to our meditation. Of course, we're going to be ambitious and we're going to have goals. And of course, we're going to labor under arduous effort. And of course, we're going to beat ourselves up. And of course, we're going to follow those tried and true methods. But the reason that we have sought solace from our life is because that methodology has failed us. The reason we have turned away and taken a weekend out of our complex life is because those methods, those, that form of self, and I say this gently, but I can't think of a better word, self-mutilation, have failed us. And we are left, which is our true midlife crisis, with a failed life in terms of what we have become from it, from those methods. And then the very sobering acknowledgement of that and the reluctance to release ourselves from a whole life system and to turn against the conditioning that every step of the way invites more of the same towards just the opposite. And we sense that fulfillment is 180 degrees different from that direction. We sense it. And so we're willing to go through all of this one week cold turkey one week to see if that sensing doesn't become stronger in the process. To see if there isn't something true. In some ways, this really is cold turkey. It's because of our addictive response to stimulation and the countless ways that through the sense doors we do demand an intensity of an energetic intensity. And to come here and plop down on a mat with none of that 
from a very cold bath to a very warm one. And to try to, and, and we wonder why when we do plop down, our mind doesn't just settle right with us. When our mind has been trained to vibrate at the level of intensity and entertainment that we live with. And suddenly, we don't have the access to that anymore. And everything that we have used to obscure the pain that that entertainment has hidden arises. The pain arises. And that we begin to see that our lives have in some way been a shelter from the storm of our own pain. And that somehow, subtly, we have encouraged a lifestyle that keeps us from having to feel ourselves. And so, this midlife crisis is a turning. It's a turning, a genuine turning of the heart. A genuine turning of the heart. And may I say, I am moved, and Narayan I know as well, by the sincerity of all of you. This to me is a very special group of people. And it's a genuine turning of the heart. In some ways, it's a subtle negation of the first half of our life. Not in the sense that it hasn't been worthwhile, but that I just can't leave it, continue living in this way. Something else begins to call us. So we need a very lean set of instructions for this turning. Because if we make it too complex, the mind will kick in and start doing its maneuvering and having its productivity and asserting its effort and having its ambition. And it will flower in the projects that we give you. The problem with Theravadan Buddhism, in my opinion, and I feel estranged within my own tradition sometimes, I feel much more comfortable in the stark environment of Zen, to be honest, than in the multiple tasks that this tradition, called skillful means, gives people that if you turn left, you get this one. You turn right, you take two steps, you get another task. You do that, you do four of these and five. It gets, it has a purpose. And I think that that is why I'm living out this incarnation to learn the value of skillful means because I just don't want anything to do with them. Just give me the mountain. I don't care about all this other stuff. Just give it to me. I can handle it. Just give it to me. That's, the, that's my style. But most people need ways to balance uh, the uh, conditioning that Narayan spoke about last night to counter the uh, negativity of the conditioning and the, uh, and the pull of the self-belief, the entrenched. Fill. 
So we give you something that balances that so you can look at yourself and smile a little bit rather than carry a continuous frown around. And then once we get that smile, then we can offer you the mountain. Hmm? So it's not that there is value to it, but sometimes we get lost in the means as being the ends. So be careful here. Ultimately, what we want to do with everything that arises is begin by relaxing. See, what relaxation does is that it orients us not in the form of resistance. When we relax to something, we're no longer resisting it. Resistance is the art form of the first half of our life. That is where the first half of our life was developed. And that is where the strategies from, this, from that sense of me gain its momentum, is from our sense of resistance to everything. Our sense of I'll do it, self-made person, and all of the ways that we think that we're in control of our life. Relaxation releases us from the grip, from the squeeze of the sense of self. When we relax, our productivity is taken away. Our ambitious effort is removed. Suddenly, we're without the tools, the hammer, the saw that we have used to gain our accreditation. You often know that you're on the right path because it's counter to the way you've lived. <laughs> and this is one of those ways. What do we think ease of well-being, where do we think ease and well-being comes from? We say it through our metaphrases, if it's not through relaxation. You think we can build effortfully ease and well-being? <laughs> I uh, do a teen class, and uh, there was one 15-year-old uh, who attended, and we get together uh, and process uh, after each homework, uh, after each session, they get homework. They go home and do it, and then they come back and we talk about it. And this one 15-year-old said uh, in, the, in the, uh, the next group meeting uh, time when we were all sharing, she said, you know, um, she was sitting at home on the couch. She has uh, two or three siblings, parents. And she saw the family dynamics start cranking up the frenetic worry that the family always holds. She didn't use these words, but these are my words. <laughs> and she said, wait a second, I have a choice here. I'm going to relax. And <laughs> she's the youngest. <laughs> Everybody else was getting all, you know, in the family panic. And she said, no, I'm just not going to move from this relaxation. And she saw the effect that she had on everybody simmering down around her, the 15-year-olds, a response. And she said, you know, I'm glad I'm learning it at age 15.
relaxation. The problem is that we often equate relaxation with the loss of consciousness. We think, if I relax deeply into myself, what that means is that I'll fall asleep. And that sleep is equated with relaxation. We relax when we're asleep. We don't know how to relax when we're awake, so we've equated a relaxation with sleep. So when I mention relaxation here, we have to uncouple the link between relaxation and unconsciousness and put relaxation with alert attention. Is it possible to be totally alert? In fact, relaxation be the avenue through which more alert attention arises rather than the effort to try to be alert. Is relaxation itself an effort? Is opening a cramped hand an effort or a non-doing? From the sense of the crampedness, it feels like you're doing something. But from the looking at what it is that you're actually doing is that you're releasing tension. Where you're already um, constrained and constricted. Relaxation is a non-doing. And if you listen to each one of these words as I describe them tonight, you'll hear a non-doing within each of them. So relaxation, when we can uncouple it from the loss of consciousness, it actually, the more relaxed we become, the less tense we become, and the less resistant we become, and the less um, and the more aware we become. Awareness is directly proportional to the absence of resistance. See what happens to your awareness. Watch where you're fighting something and all of the struggle that's going on. And then just give yourself a test. Square yourself up to it and do not resist it. And see what happens to your attention, your awareness when you do that. See if it isn't fed through the lack of, the, the loss of resistance. Relaxation also counters a kind of leaning that we do on our meditation. It doesn't have anywhere to go. When you're relaxed, you're in place at the other end of your relaxation. You're relaxing in place. It doesn't have a motion to it. It doesn't have a direction to it. It has the crosshairs of your coordinates. That's where you relax too. You relax here and now. And the leaning, if you look at the leaning, it's often that sort of, I'm going to self-make my spiritual life, like I've self-made my worldly one. Um, my effort and my it's going to be under my control. And some methods that you will practice, quite likely if you stay in this tradition, for, will have a very strong sense of self-mastery as you're doing them. Do not be fooled. This has never been about you doing it. In fact, you will learn, and it may take you a while to learn that, 
the more you get out of the way, the more it does. And we really obscure the process rather than facilitate it. Who's controlling this? When the very sense of me is that embodied resistance and the release of that resistance is makes myself more vague. I become more vague. I lose the sharpness of my own edge. For the mind is gradually opened until it loses its defining edge. That is what awakening is. As it gradually opens through relaxation and non-resistance, we lose the defining sense of ourselves, what things are that we have fought against. And as things pull back into their natural harmony, we awaken to the truth. So what is the near enemy of relaxation? The near enemy is indulgence. Near enemy is what often looks like relaxation to a pleasure-seeking mind. And, you know, when you're just like you're laying in uh, a sauna or, uh, you know, one a jacuzzi, and it's like you just are so relaxed, Right? And it's all based on the conditions of that perfect jacuzzi warmth. And it's really indulgence. It's, that may have intoned a certain release of musculature, but the mind is grasping very desperately at those set of conditions. True relaxation is not dependent upon conditions at all and therefore is very different than indulgence. So look at the difference between indulgence and relaxation when the bell rings at 5.30 and you say to yourself, I'll just stay relaxed. (laughs) Relaxation. The second of the three words is observe. Observe. And the near enemy of observe, which is a non-intrusive observation, we call it non-judgmental awareness. Just relax and observe the observation. You, can, you have to lead with observation. Unless we make the conscious, the unconscious conscious through observation, nothing can be known. It seems so um, simplistic to say but it's so amazingly deceptive for the uh, for the most of us that unless we see our problems, we're not going to be able to do anything to fix them. I mean, and the only way to do that is through observing it, to look at it. So we have to look into the areas of our discomfort, because that's where we're most resistant. 
Why are we hurting? It's because something is rubbing. So if we observe the rub, we can fix the rub. If we act out of the rub, we encourage a greater conditioning around the friction and the resistance. So the Buddhist teaching is to go towards the difficult and to see if we can understand it through our direct observation. Now, the near enemy of an observing mind is opinionated observing. And it's very near enemy. Sometimes we think we're just observing away and there's this little commentator back there having all kinds of things to say about it and we're thinking this is clear observation, nothing, you know, I've gone seeing exactly what it is, God damn this pain. <laughs> <laughs> observation, which I think is most directly uh, analogous to this flashlight, I just want you to feel the weight of the beam as it touches your body. You can't feel it. It does nothing to you. It puts no pressure on you. It doesn't distort anything. It highlights. Its only quality is that it highlights. You feel no influence from the light and certainly no judgment. That is what clean observation is. In science, they can stimulate your brain to show all forms of mind states. They can stimulate the anger part, the fear part, the sadness part, the depression part. But you know what they can't stimulate because they can't find it in the brain? Is the seat of awareness. And that's its saving grace, is that it's not a mentally derived function. And therefore, it shows you the mind without coming through the mind. And if we're clean enough in our observation, that means we don't add the mind to the observation. We don't add mental energy to what we see. Then we can live with just what is seen. The seen is enough. That's where faith comes in. Most of us simply don't believe that seeing is enough. Thank you very much. I have to do something with what I see. I have to fix it. And that's where the first half of our life comes in. We get back in the productivity mode. We just don't simply believe that seeing an emotion has anything to do. What good is it? And I have come from there. So I can tell you, I had the same feeling. I said, no, this is just ridiculous. It's doing nothing. I've got to, you know, I'll follow their instruction. But inside, I'm going to be, you know, <laughs> handling this thing my way. Until you've, until you've expended your effort and you begin to see that that is enough. You begin to understand that. Just the observation. Because... What the problem is, is that we haven't observed it right. We've distorted what it is. So when we see it new, not how we believe it to be, which is opinionated seeing, which is the near enemy of observation, but how it actually is, then 
I can, you know what it communicates? Harmlessness. It communicates its essence of harmlessness. Wow, all my life I've been running from this and there's nothing to it. And that is the only way to come to the harmlessness of our inward experience is through the benign simplicity of just seeing. Another word for just seeing, because just seeing honors what it sees, doesn't distort what it sees, doesn't try to influence what it sees, it's also called love. Just seeing is offering ourselves something that is very rare. Let me just see this. Just see, just seeing. What is your practice? Just seeing. Just seeing. And it's harmless. I don't have to be afraid of this. Isn't that interesting? I've been afraid of it my whole life and now I don't have to be afraid of it. I don't have to be afraid of this. And through relaxation and observation, you see, if you're tense and observing, then you're opinionated and you're observing because there's a worry associated with your observation. So relaxation has to accompany the observation to make sure that the observation is unopinionated. So when we orient to pain, first we relax to it because we're going to go in there fearing it if we don't. And then we look. It's not about me. Isn't that interesting? We see that too. We see that what we observe has no link inherently to the sense of me. There's no hookup. There's no, there's no, um, it's, there's no coupling. It exists outside of me. Outside of the me. It's not about me, is another way of saying it. Observation will show you that. Just observation. And, you know, and I understand uh, when an emotion comes up, you know, you're angry and you think, observation, you know, it feels like I've really got to play this thing out. I've got to, like, you know. Just try it. Try the observation. Try the relaxation the observation and the allowance. And watch your orientation shift entirely from the rebellion to the connection. And through that, 
gentle observation, through that willingness just to see. The observation begins to become more nuanced. We begin to observe in more detail, to hear with more refinement, to sense with more delicacy. And the heart fills in in those tributaries. The heart rushes in. Everything is affected. You're affect, we're affected by everything. This practice is great being more affected, not less affected. We have put resistance up against from, our, from life because we don't want to be affected. To protect ourselves from being influenced. And once we drop the resistance through relaxation and we allow the, the flooding of our observation, then we find we are affected again. But then the saving grace of getting pulled down into the uh, bottleneck of being affected by all things and being unable to let go of any of them is the last of these three words. The allowance of the willingness to allow. Leaving the mind alone. Leaving yourself alone. Getting off your back. We are by far our own worst enemies. We have ingested our past difficulties with parents and other significant others. And we have ingested and internalized that belittlement. And now we have become our own enemy. And we think that what we really need is not spirituality, but exorcism. And we're running scared. Because if I shut up, sit down and relax, the real me will show itself. And I can't stand that. That's why allowance is coupled with relaxation and observation. Because the relaxation allows the non-resistance, the non-fear. The observation shows us the harmlessness and the sense that this is not about me. And the allowance opens its arms to embrace what it's seen with caring attention. What do you mean? Nothing's wrong with me. Everything feels wrong with me, we say in argument. It depends on how we're looking at ourselves. If we look through our story, then we are going to be what our story tells us we are. What are all the infiltrating remarks that have scarred us is part of our story's totality, a part of the literature of our past. 
And so when we look at ourselves through our story, we are going to be forever in comparison and judgment from that story's content. But allowance, relaxation, and observation begin to extricate us from the story. So we're no longer looking at ourselves through what we have been told we are. Rather, we're seeing ourselves who we are in that moment with no accompanying literature at all. No details. To ask yourself, when you find yourself up against your story, the story of your inadequacy, the story of your doubt, the story of your mistrust. Ask yourself in sincerity, who would I be if I released myself from this story? And for that moment, let it go in abeyance. Because what you will see is not so much that you love the story, because it's not very lovable, but that you're afraid to be without it. So you'll know that really what you're up against is you're clinging to be known. Okay, so now I'm oriented. Now I've got the right orientation here. I want to be the person of this or that. Okay. So what do I do about that? Relax, observe, and allow. Whatever the challenge of the moment, I bring forth the mastery of awareness. Just look. And notice that relax, observe, and allow are all verbs. What we're doing is changing life into a verb. We know that one of those three relaxing, observing, or allowing verbs is off when we have fixed ourselves, when we have established a permanent fixture or sense of me in relationship to what we're doing or to a problem. Yet, let those words work on our inward experience and on our outward experience so that everything becomes a verb, so that it's all in movement, relaxing, okay, relax, observing, eyes wide open, allowing, heart available, Relaxing, observing, and allowing creates what I call the ninth step of the eightfold path. <laughs> I'm always tinkering. <laughs> Wise environment. 
It creates the environment of safety. It sets us upright. The near enemy of allowing is losing our boundary, which seems quite contradictory to what I was saying earlier because it's the loss of boundary that is awakening. But I found that when I say that, people think that that means they say yes to everything and they can't ever say no. Allowance can be taken to mean that everything should be accommodated and there should never be a statement of one's ethical and moral obligation to the world. That's the far from the truth. Allowance is that everything is seen for what it is. And we set the boundaries of what's acceptable and just and not from that scene. So these three words, when act, acted on in coordination with one another, embody the sense of faith. Now, this faith, if you think you're a person of faith, prior to actually seeing the truth where these words take you, then you will be plagued by doubt. Because true faith is verified faith. Faith of what we have seen and that we know we can relax to these, to our life. We know that our life is harmless. We know that our inward world is ultimately towards our benefit. And our faith comes in seeing that we have just misaligned that truth and that everything is acting and has always wanted to act when aligned in its proper orientation to our benefit. And that life is moving. All I have to do is get out of the way of it. It knows how it's going to move. It doesn't need my demands on its movement. And so faith comes in that knowing. I don't know how it's moving. And I don't know what it is that's even moving. I just know that it's right. Without dispute. That can't be disputed. It's not an argument. No, it's not right. Okay. And faith takes takes root through the heart door, through the willingness time and time again to relax and see that what we resisting, what we were we have been resisting is really benign. Through observation and seeing the harmlessness and through the allowance, seeing that we can hold and not be overwhelmed by what our inward experience is. And that we're growing in relationship to our ability to apply those three words. And we get more and more out of the way to let life be itself. 
And that those three words take me out of the picture more and more as I apply them. And now I'm on to something. And you know why? Because it gets simpler and more and more simple. That there's less and less argument. That what you do is very, very, very simple. It's the essence of simplicity. And therein lies its credibility. Because it has to go in that direction. May all of us know relaxation, observation, and allowance. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.